0: Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic.
1: Welcome to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, and I am joined here by Father Bonaventure Chapman, who is uh, joining us. Blazingly white. (laughs) (laughs) Who is joining us in current blanched, you know, front lit fashion from a Mark Rothko sound studio. Uh, please tell us about your environs.
0: Correct. Yes, uh, I am in Mark Rothko's sound studio, capital <laughs> of the world. No, I am in Thorpe, Wisconsin, visiting with uh, two two dear friends, Pat and Kendra Connolly, who I I studied when I was in Oxford. With Pat was a seminarian, an Anglican seminarian like myself, um, and they converted to Catholicism just after I converted to Catholicism. So I've stayed close to them, and they're very dear friends. And I was out visiting them. I'm visiting them for a little bit of time out here and helping out the parish, the local parish in the middle of Wisconsin, because I grew up in Buffalo. I love snow, mm. uh, and they have lots of snow and hoarfrost. Really? Hoarfrost is gorgeous. Wait, what? Um, What's hoarfrost? The the little snow, so like that in the right, in just the right conditions, um, little ice, like the little snow icicles that happen on trees. You've seen these things are beautiful, but it, like it, it creates this little halo, basically, of snow mm. on all the all the oh. trees. Oh, it's gorgeous! It's absolutely gorgeous. Hoarfrost, it's called, but there's a lot of that, which is delightful. And there's a shrine up here to Our Lady of Guadalupe in 2005 that has my favorite image of Saint Faustina, painted by Noah Buchanan, as well as a beautiful one by Maria Goretti. of Maria Garetti, not by her, but with (laughs) lilies. And so I encourage you to look up uh, uh, the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. The Franciscan friars, the Immaculate, are there, and their house is Blessed John. Blessed Dun Scotus, and they have a statue out there with him. Nice. So it's a delightful little place up in the up in the in the mountains here in Wisconsin. So, Man, and there's great cheese.
1: Great. That was. Yeah. I mean, you sold it. That was like uh, tasting notes are to bourbon as these mm-hmm. things that you just said are to I don't know going on a pilgrimage. That's a terrible analogy of proportionality. I regret the fact that I started it because then I had to finish it. And
0: proportionality always is a bad way of analogy, as Thomas <laughs> realized when he shifted back to the analogy of proportion uh one to one to another yeah
1: yeah i mean there it is uh so in this episode our plan is to talk about something different okay well you've noticed on account of the fact that you clicked on it and you saw that it had a title and that title contained the name of a man and instead of it saying literature and Christopher Nolan mm. it said movies and Christopher Nolan actually we haven't yet named the episode maybe it's film and Christopher Nolan we'll figure it out but cinema cinema and Christopher theatrics? Nolan
0: theatrics yeah i don't know yeah
1: <laughs> Um, so we are uh, going to just give a little look at the oeuvre at the works of Christopher Nolan and, um, the purpose for which being, you know, kind of a, a typical God's planning approach to take a contemplative look so as to see how these, I don't know, how these realities that he portrays can somehow, uh, shed light on our own lives or afford us a, a deeper, more excellent entry into, uh, yeah, what's good. So with that, um, a little basic introduction. You know Christopher Nolan better than I do. Can you just give us a rough sketch of who he is and what he does?
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but uh, I will try. <laughs> um, so Christopher Nolan is a is a human being um, who is a director of movies. And one of... <laughs> One of the best, I think. I mean, really consistent. Dennis uh, Villeneuve, who we might have to do in another one of these episodes, if we pronounce that last name. Um <laughs> not probably, that very, way. probably tell. Yeah, I, I learned French to read, not to speak, unfortunately. So I've no idea how to pronounce any of these things. Yeah. Uh, but he is he, he's another great director. We may have to do him at some point. But Nolan is a is is an excellent, I mean a philosophical director, kind of a bit like Terence Malick in a sense, but I wanna I don't want to say less, I want to say shallower, I want to say different because mm-hmm. he is a profound profound uh, uh, thinker and he he works off of kind of one key um, which we'll get to but uh, he's produced movies that you have all seen uh, interstellar uh, dunkirk more recently you should say tenant is the most recent one of course with with Denzel Washington's son in it which is spectacular I encourage you to see that um, and enjoy yourself and the mind mm-hmm. <laughs> but also more popularly you've probably most people are familiar with his works through the bat the I guess they're, I thought they were the, the latest Batman series, but there's another one coming, another reboot. But the Batman reboots with Christian Bale. So those three movies, Dark Knight, uh, Batman Begins, and then Dark Knight Rises, I think, is the third one, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Dark Knight's the middle one, and that's like in the Star Wars episodes where Empire Strikes Back is the best, is five. Um, Dark Knight is probably the best one of those three series. But he has a, yeah, and I mean, he's done other things. Uh, I guess you'd also know maybe from The Prestige, uh, the magic movie, mm-hmm. and what else would oh insomnia which is a fantastic movie with al pacino and hillary swank and robin Williams as a villain you could and then oh, moment and then memento oh yeah he might be a villain um it's pretty clear right walk away it back. walk it back um it's pretty clear okay and then and then of course memento the very interesting time okay which gets to the point of that does time stuff but what did i do i miss anything on him on that i don't know how many kids he has or that kind of
1: stuff (laughs) that's that's basically everything everyone wants to know i think the one big movie that we haven't mentioned is inception um and then the first movie they ever made which is kind of strange noir um like discontinuous narrative uh ends up being strange twist at the end is called following that's also a Mm. short movie um so if you're looking for an entry to christopher nolan the batman movies are the most straightforward uh I mean if you're listening to this you probably you've probably already watched them uh the Batman movies are the most straightforward, and then it gets weirder um
0: but so, be- but better yeah 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 although Batman's are, look the Batmans are great it's a bit like uh David Lynch did a lot of strange movies, but he also did dune, um which was fantastic, but not as strange as his other movies, but also great so yeah yeah so, so- the other movies are just fantastic um but Batman's are good, but they're just low lower brow, you could say. So, when it comes to all right, the things that are of philosophical
1: or theological or more broadly kind of intellectual interest, when it comes to Christopher Nolan, is that clearly he is about something more than just having stuff explode um, and having an audience who's willing to pay exorbitant amounts of money to be, I don't know, put to sleep, as it were. Uh, by the exploding of things now not to Mm. say that like it's a it's a boring explosion but in the sense where it doesn't actually engage you it doesn't draw anything forth uh perhaps you've had the experience of watching a movie where you just wanted to watch something easy you wanted to watch something simple you wanted to watch something that really didn't demand anything of you which is totally fine but then sometimes uh you know when you watch a movie or when you watch film uh to speak in more highbrow terms sometimes you want to engage with it as a work of art and just as you might go to a gallery and look at a thing and kind of evaluate what's being portrayed, what does the artist intend, how is that supposed to affect you, how are you reacting in turn, you want to have an experience like this or like unto this when it comes to when it comes to movies or film. And Christopher Nolan is one who can supply. And I think the, the theme that we're going to end up focusing in on is a theme that I would call – well, what would I call it? It's kind of like a, a magical realism. So what he does mm, is he, he – I like that. Hey, thanks. I don't think I made it up. I think I actually stole it from, uh, like, Jose Luis Borges. Um, But he he twists one thing about the universe in which his storyline kind of takes place or unfolds, and then he... Uh, kind of harvest. So he sows the seed by changing one thing and then he harvests all of the different implications that kind of follow in turn or that arise from that change. And he's especially focused on how that affects, you know, the human beings, the characters, the dramatis personae who are in uh, the movie and their relationships and their interactions. So this is, I mean, to kind of give a rough sketch, that's the basic sense. And I think that what we're going to end up focusing on is uh, this, this feature of narrative continuity. So typically when people tell a story, they go from the beginning to the middle to the end, but if there's one thing that we know about Christopher Nolan, it's that he cannot abide a story that just goes from beginning to middle to end. So maybe take us through just some first impressions yeah. of a couple of his movies and what he's doing with
0: time, just in the basic sense. Well, that's and that's the that's the key is if there's one if there's one thing that you know, some, so for instance in musicality you might have a composer who has like one chord he really loves or something and you get you can you hear that or a particular melody or harmony so when you hear a certain music you can tell that's a bach or that's a mozart if you're good if you're attentive to these things or you know that's bob dylan like the minute the the voice shows up you've got that's dylan (laughs) um in this way but uh or if if it's about you know losing your dog and your shotgun your truck and it's like it's that's country music um and nolan has a thing he just does so it's like nolan's if you were like a video game person like this is the x button it's a special move it's a thing he always does is he time He 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 takes time and he plays with the concept of time and and you may think what is what could be so exciting about that like I have a watch on time just kind of rolls on right time ticks one two three you know but it's just the measure of motion as a famous person said one time Um, (laughs) but of course Aristotle that's exactly right Green Halo but (laughs) um, but another impressive person wrote an entire book on it which is almost unintelligible and yet draws one back and this would be augustine's confessions uh chapter it's memory so it's 10 i think chapter no is that right um anyway i think it's 10 because 11 is language and 12 is uh genesis yeah so 10 is memory and memory just turns to our experience of time and for augustine this is a deep reflection and it is a deep reflection because we are temporal creatures we exist in this this mode and of course modern physics we have a sense of space time that time's a dimension like space is and once you open yourself up to that then space can be contracted extended looped overlaid and nolan i think takes that seriously and he says time is something that i can we can stretch play around look from other angles and see what temporal beings appear and how we appear in that way as opposed to just the straightforward running of so how does that work out you probably know this or at least sense this but this brings it more to clarity In memento for instance one of the early movies with um guy pierce is that the lead the actor that's right um in that case instead of going through a straight movie although if you get the dvd i think don't even have dvds anymore if you download it and push the extra thing i don't know (laughs) Um, you can go. You can do it as a regular movie. I've never seen it that way. The movie starts with the last thirty seconds, I think, and then you go to the first thirty seconds, and then you go to the last minute to the la- that runs to the last thirty seconds, and you go. And so the whole time you're going with the movie, you're meeting in the middle, and you're trying to figure out. So you're going back and forth between the end and the beginning to lead to the middle when therefore you'll be able to have the whole thing present before you right and you're trying to figure out because the main character doesn't have short ter- doesn't have a uh, long-term memory he has a short-term memory so he forgets everything that he doesn't focus so in a sense the movie is trying to get you to feel what it would be like to not have a grasp of reality that has continuity but is in a sense reinvented each time that you have to trust other people and of course. He doesn't know who to trust. And because you're not seeing the narrative continuity, you're just seeing snippets of things, you don't know how to trust. So time becomes this, when you screw up with time, you screw up with human trust. Turns out time is related to trust as we wouldn't have thought before, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And I like, okay, so one of the ways in which St. Thomas describes human beings, Jesus says human beings are the type of creature that comes to their end by many movements, right? So we can know our end as an end and we can progress towards it. Um, But our lives are this kind of gradual process of maturation or unfolding, you know, in in the case of one who's living a life of virtue. Um, So we only ever kind of like possess ourselves piecemeal. We only ever come progressively into the possession of our lives. But by contrast to God, who is eternal, right, who who enjoys the whole and simultaneous possession of endless life. And with that movie, with a memento, you get a sense of that. You get a sense of only possessing yourself uh, inadequately or imperfectly. And what it does is it sets the stage beautifully for this feature of human life, namely self-deception, because not only does he not know who to trust, but he also knows that he can formulate false trust, right? So he can tell himself the story that he wants to hear, because in certain cases, that story will be easier, more palatable, relatively straightforward by comparison to the alternative, right? And so one of the devices is that... In order to remind himself when he wakes up having lost his long-term memory, like what he should think or who he ought to believe, he writes himself notes. And you would expect that if you lacked long-term memory, you would write yourself true notes. You would write yourself notes which actually reflect reality. But you come to discover in the course of the movie that that's not uh, that's not always the case with him. So, like, you know, if if you were to say somebody like, "Hey, would you ever willingly deceive yourself?" Uh, I think most people would say like, "No, that's crazy, stupid." But then think about the life of sin. What is it we're doing when we're sinning? We're willingly deceiving ourselves. We're obscuring the reality of our lives from ourselves by choosing lower goods, which make us the type of people that prefer lower goods to higher goods in whatever situation. And that's just what you see. It's been revealed to you by virtue of the fact that you have this strange conceit of a guy who forgets everything from moment to moment, and in, and and rather than you know deceiving himself in kind of invisible or hidden ways, he does so patently. You know, by writing on his own flesh the lies yeah, he, that he abides by.
0: Yeah, and it's a. I mean, I like that. It's it's a. It's scripture. He has his own like text. He has a a scripture text to hold him. I mean, this is biblical in the sense that he can't trust his experience of 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 his life, uh, nor the people around him all the time. He needs a text that helps him to tell, like, don't trust Johnny or, you know, I am this or this happened to me. He needs to have this written down in some form because he can't trust his own. He doesn't remember and he can't trust it in the way that, for instance, we don't remember our baptisms, I think Uh, most of us probably don't. Um, but they're, they're written in the records, and we have these things so that we can remind ourselves about the realities of them. So he, he has this this inscriptions there on his body that tell him how to experience the world or how he should. But as Father Gregor said, he can t- make false inscriptions. Just like we have a scripture text, we have the revelation of God given to us, but we can also instead put on others' texts – from other places, from other people, and let those then dictate how to or- order our narrative, in the f- because of the fact of our disruption of time, and as Augustine would say, the fragmentation of our experience of time as we become more diffuse in our desires as opposed to being unified. Yeah. So I like the the script, the inscripting, and uh, infleshing uh, texture. Ooh, a metonym. Mm. Something. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. All right. We're we're that's, that's one.
1: Wait. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say that we're halfway into the episode. so let's do it. So we're going to take a break arbitrarily uh, to hear a word from our sponsors, which sponsors happen to be ourselves.
0: This is Godsplaining. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining.
1: And we're back. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of God's Planning. We're delighted that you have, that you've stuck with us. Um, so, so far we've talked about one movie in which Christopher Nolan's kind of toying with time is revelatory of certain aspects of human life. So the, the early works of Nolan include Following Memento and Insomnia. So we've touched on one of the movies from that early period. We're going to probably, I don't know, try to, I don't know if you want to talk about Batman. We might but
0: have. We might have to do a number of his because they're just, I think we've got basically one, we can only talk about one other one right now. And there's like six that we should talk about or something. Well, let's, of let's, 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 profundity. Unless you want to switch away from time and talk about no. um, humanity. But I think we need to do time with him because it's kind of his thing. I, I have lots time. of things to say about. Oh, I
1: know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so let's boot the, the Batman trilogy since most people are very, you know, accustomed to it and have had conversations yeah. about it. So then let's just yep. pick one arbitrarily from that middle period, okay? So We're we booted the Batman movies and we've got, um, we've got Prestige, Inception, and Interstellar, and we can leave Dunkirk and Tenet off to the last. What would you prefer? Prestige, Inception, or Interstellar for time?
0: Oh, I mean, Interstellar is... Oh, for time? <sighs> yeah, Interstellar. You got to do Interstellar, right? Okay, let's do it. Um. Yeah, so, I mean... Interstellar has, so Interstellar is is, uh, is a bit, from my mind, like uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, space trilogy, or at least Out of the Silent Planet. They're little like es- philosophical essay vignettes that have an overall narr- narrative arc, but the individual moments of them are, are fascinating. And Interstellar, of course, is uh, an attempt that the universe, well, the, the planet's in trouble and need to, you've probably all seen this movie, but they need to go out and find. Uh, a different planet to bring people from Earth to to save them because the planet's collapsing due to a biological or climate catastrophe, what have you. And so in that case, we talked about space and time as being these dimensions. Nolan does both in this case. He makes space is huge in this. It's vast. He's actually going to take in the whole cosmos as best he can uh, through it, but also time because when you bring in, interestingly enough, large spaces, you need to ask questions about temporal dimensions because they're going to be a lot greater than what we've expected because you have to take a long time to travel through. Like you commit yourself to a certain point where they send out, they have to send out like, I think it's 10 astronauts or something to different places that could possibly hold life, human life. And you only have one choice because of the time involved, because you don't have time to send out your ast- the astronaut and then find out that's the wrong planet and then come back and do another one. Each one only has the one option. And if that's not a habitable planet, it turns out that the one they go to, you're done. Time is not something that you always have control of because of the need of time for that particular mission. And, that's, and so you meet at some point uh, a character who you feel like should be the one who has succeeded, but has not like picked wrong and his struggle and what he does, we won't give away total spoilers, because of the fact that time is not... He doesn't have control of time and how it leads to it. That's one. And then, of course, there's another There's another scene that we have to talk about, where you want to make a comment about... Uh, maybe you could lead the, uh, the tidal wave, I own scene, or make a theological comment about this. The, I mean, I think there's... I'll make one comment about it. its We feel like we always have more time, and we always... Time is, time is something that I can always change, and I can always get back to it. It's like, if I did this wrong, I'll get... But no one... Allows, he widens the scope so much that he allows you to think about the possibility that you don't have time for something else, that the choice you make, even though it will take a long time to play out, can't be reversed. And I think that has something to do with like the vowed life, for instance, if we see those in terms of our time. When you make a decision to get married to this particular person or to enter this particular religious order or something, it's going to play out. You're going to have 60 more years, but in a sense, you don't have another, you don't have time to change that. Even though you have a whole life, you don't have a time to change your decision on that because you won't know how it works out until the final and it's the whole piece of it. But that's just one one reflection on it.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe to make like a math physics philosophy observation about this, he, he has a way of showing you what's entailed in a moment, right? So that word moment, we use it to refer to a, a short snippet of time, but we also use it to refer to like weight in motion as it were, you know, so you talk about like momentum or the moment arm or things like that, or you talk about occasion as momentous. So yeah, it's, it's an occasion, which is to say it's a a slice of time, but it also has a kind of gravity to it. It has a kind of heft. Um, And I think that when he, when he plays with time, he shows you how very, not, not so much valuable, but how very significant is a moment, how it can bear so much meaning uh, even if it seems small or trifling. And it's funny, like, uh, the way that he does this in interstellar is kind of the opposite from the way that he does it in inception because inception, you know, you have dreams within dreams, within dreams. And let's say that something takes, you know, whatever, five seconds to transpire in the real world, you can fill you know like you can you can you can pass 5 hours in the first level of dream you know and you can pass 5 days in the next level of dream you can pass 5 years in the next level of dream so it's like he breaks that moment open and open and open and open so that you are less likely to overlook the fact that it is as significant as it is and then with um with interstellar he has a way where you know, when you when they visit that one planet where the gravity is such that time That's passes at a different about. rate. Yeah, so time passes at a different rate because the gravity is as it is, um, and they're they're momentarily delayed on that planet. But then when they come back to the ship where they left Idris Elba's character, he's aged like forty years. You know, yeah. he's been waiting them waiting for them forever. So what to to Anne Hathaway's character seemed like you know a small decision to go back and to you know like get something from their probe. Ended up mattering a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot for another character who was waiting for them back on another, you know, on another kind of wavelength, as it were back in the ship time length, time length. Yeah, I don't don't actually know anything about physics. But Um, it's just fascinating to see that, that everything that we do, that we do matters and that that's not something that overwhelms our Liberty, but it's something that actually gives us like purpose as it were. Like, it's not to say like everything that you do matters so, so much. So you should just cower in fear and never get out of bed, you know, like at the, at the mere thought of potentially messing it up. It's like, no, like you should get out there precisely because what you do and not, not in like a kind of crass, uh, life team night kind of go make a difference type way, but like everything that you do
0: has import <clears throat> um yeah no you go no that's I've, i was just i was just getting life teeny on things and getting exciting about you know you're gonna make a difference um but i think that's the the end and he's a so he's a great director we, we talked about time but because it's it's persons you know again augustinian i think he's very augustinian in this fashion that it's time is is has to do with the persons. it's not like time is just a physical phenomenon but time as time affects people so when when the two astronauts get back to meet the albus the uh Idris Era, Elba. Edris Elba character who they've only been delayed a mi- couple minutes but he's been delayed 37 years I think it is something that you know the door on the spaceship opens up and you, he's a bearded man now he's aged and the look on his face he's been alone on this ship for 37 years uh, when he said you know I, th- I forget the exact line where we you know where have you been or like what ha- but they've destroyed his they've changed his life in irrevocable you know, and to to realize that you can have that those effects on people, but to see in that character's personality the effects of time—not just physically, but the emotionally, psychologically—Nolan uh, does a beautiful job of of showing you that and their meeting. And of course, the the movie is about just time because the the father is moving at a different time because of a black hole, as the as the daughter, and it turns out maybe even everyone is already it's one of those loopy kind of we won't give away all the all the details of it just most of them time just folds time folds back on it and it on on itself in a way that does give a momentousness to particular circumstances decisions when if you think of time as just a kind of thing that clicks along on your watch and everyone has a watch and time is insignificant doesn't matter it but Time and space actually have a personal dimension, just like when someone moves away, they become less personally attached to you, even though it's just distance by space, but it's, it is because we're spatial creatures. So far, with time, time actually affects your personality and relations. And no one, of course, they're all fantastic. Magical realism is the right word, but it's to bring out the things that we wouldn't otherwise see in what time is. That's, his, that's some of his genius.
1: All right. We have time for one more. Uh, The the last period being that which pertains to, I mean, in my arbitrary... You uh, called this one, yeah. yeah so the la- last two contains uh, Dunkirk and Tenet. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Dunkirk. Father Bonaventure did not like Dunkirk, so I figured, uh, we can talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So basic right. setup is there are three different timelines. Mm-hmm. There is a there's a story that transpires in the course of an hour, which is Tom Hardy, who's a fighter pilot in the RAF. Rawr. Right, exactly. He's a fighter pilot in the RAF, and he's running a mission uh, over the English Channel. You know that's, that corresponds to this Battle of Dunkirk when they're trying to evacuate all of these British soldiers uh, from France back to England so that they are not destroyed by the encircling German troops or the Luftwaffe who is flying through sporadically to strafe them. Okay, so the first storyline is Tom Hardy, one hour. He is an RAF pilot. Uh, the next storyline is one day. And that's the story of a man and his son and his son's friend who pilot a ship from, they leave from England, they go to Dunkirk, they pick up, uh, well, they don't quite make it to Dunkirk, but they pick up British soldiers who are fleeing Dunkirk and they ferry them back uh, to uh, the island. And then the last is a story of a week, which is the story of the whole battle as it transpires. And there you're kind of big players are the the... Admiral, who's played by Kenneth Branagh, and then this one particular soldier, a young boy, who's just trying with all his might to escape. And what you do is you kind of move in and amongst the different levels. But the whole uh, time trick in this instance is to show uh, one, the kind of like drama that transpires within an hour, within a day, and within a week, all of which is equally like kind of equally pregnant um, with, with implications for the war, for liberty in the Western world, and et cetera. Um, But also, it's to show how those confluence of factors um, kind of eventuate in something that's very, very, I don't know, providential, I guess would be the word. So those three timelines converge on one point, where uh, the boy who is living in the... um, you know, like the young young kid who's in the, the week's story has already boarded a couple of vessels at this point and they have sunk. And he's trying finally, like, you know, with his last ship and, you know, the ship that they're trying to board has been sunk. And so they happen upon the one day storyline, you know, of the guy who with his son and his son's friend are coming from England to pick up soldiers, that little fishing trawler, right? They, they're coming on the scene. And then Tom Hardy is circling in the air to protect them from the attack of a Luftwaffe pilot. So that's the setup. All right. So that's what time is doing. I've set the stage with Providence. You don't really like it though. So you don't think it works.
0: Well, I, I, I my only concern was, um, I do like that, that well, the, the intersection, the fact that you've got three layers of time tra- going at different, at different points and that, and because again, time is something that has this subjective feel to it this personal feel to it, this kind of stretching and straining thing. You can have movements in different, you can go with these different levels of it in different sequences, you could say. Um, I think he gets, I think he nails down two of the three levels. Uh, I felt like he nailed, I, so because there's certain points where they cross each other. So they converge at one point, but they're kind of keeping tabs on each other. So at certain points you see the fighter pilot, you know, in the, do, in the air over the, over the beach or something. And you remember, wait, that was, ah, I know that. So there are these certain points where they click. And I felt like two of the three levels kind of clicked in. and the, But the three levels together, I didn't think track the entire movie except for like that convergence point, which it would be impossible not to have that. Track, <laughs> such is a convergence point, but um, that's my only, but it's a, in general, what I find with Nolan is he's dealing with the most abstract and yet personal issues. So all of this time work he does is not just for like time's sake, but for anthropological reflection and, so he's dealing with extremely heavy and difficult concepts and he's bending them in ways that are beyond what you would want to, the magical realism aspect, as Father Gregory said. And so I give him maze for effort. <laughs> it's hard to land really, really dangerous planes, you know? So, so like, even like Interstellar is not a good movie in its entirety in terms of like a narrative arc that works out perfectly, this sort of thing. But he's like a, he's like a, a, I don't know, a sophomore who decided to enter the college-level physics, you know, he, he's way out of his league because these are just difficult concepts. And so he's it's so ambitious. If you get any of it right, that's going to get an A-plus from me. Like, well done, my friend. <laughs> and he gets so much of it right. So even if you have one flaw, some people don't like some of this this stuff, but the ambition is just impressive. And it's the ambition for the sake of the person persons dealing with time and how we intersect on that. So Dunkirk, I think, is... It is great. I don't feel, I feel like two of the, one of the, or, or doesn't fit as well with the other two layers, but that's a such a small, that's like, well, you know, you spelled gray with an A and we usually people spell with an E or something. It's fine. It's a fantastic movie. I recommend it uh, heartily.
1: So my last kind of apology for this or my defense of it is that I think that it succeeds precisely where it needs to succeed. So I think, I think the week long storyline is a little bit loose and, you know, could it have been just a three-day storyline? And could he have kind of done it a little tighter? I, I, I suppose he could have. But I think that what the scope of the three storylines shows you is the different motivations of the different characters uh, in a way that I found very personalistic and very humanizing. Um, so you see this, this young kid, um, as to be expected, he's really, he's just motivated by self-preservation uh, in a way that's fierce, uh, in a way that's you know, kind of dogged it in its determination, and then you see the father and his son, and they're they're they really are motivated by a spirit of like sacrifice and of I don't know what you would call it, maybe like piety. So um, this this gentleman had two sons, and his oldest son was an RAF pilot, and he died in one of the early engagements of the war, and so they see it as like a kind of contribution to something for which their son sacrificed. So then it's like it's like love of it's like love of family almost, and then in the case of uh, Tom Hardy uh, the, the pilot who's there, uh, you can see, you know, his love of country touches him at great personal cost because he was part of a squadron of three planes. One got shot down at the beginning. The other got shot down, uh, like kind of, I don't know, maybe halfway into the story. And then it's, it's up to him. Basically. He knows that if he goes after this plane, that, um, yeah, that, that he's going to run out of fuel basically. And it's going to end poorly for him. And it does. Uh, But he chooses his love of country over his own kind of self-preservation. So you see like kind of different takes on the common good. And then all of those takes come together just very beautifully in that convergence factor. And you see like, you know, that, that all of these desires for genuine human goods can be concordant and that they're all taken up in this war effort because the kind of providential man who oversees the whole of it is Kenneth Branagh. And the big thing that he says is when he sees all of these ships coming on the horizon, he says, that's home. Um, because throughout the course of the movie, you know, people are saying, you know, it's so close. It's so close. England is so close. Home is so close. Uh, but for them, it seems impossible. It seems unrealizable. But then when it comes to them, like when all of these different men's motivations come to bear on this point, you know, of their, you know, their, their common love for the common good. That, that, that home is made real home is made present. So I just thought that was I thought that was so beautiful. I thought that was so successful. And yeah, there, I mean, I, like you said, there, there are things about it that aren't perfect. But um, Christopher Nolan just has he has the guts to make movies that are, you know, they're, they're difficult, you know, they demand something of you. But like after you've watched them, you feel like you've been on a retreat rather than seeing your
0: 27th Marvel movie. It's a he's a magnanimous director. He knows he can achieve the good. He desires to achieve the good, and he aims for great. He aims for great things because he's a great soul director. I would say that magnanimity of direction would be his one of his virtues. Boom. All
1: right. Well, this has been our first installment in film and fill in the blank. So our first here with Christopher Nolan, but there are many excellent directors in this our modern age. You know, we we mentioned Denis Villeneuve. We could all, you know, we also mentioned Terrence Malick. But I could see us doing. Uh, you know, podcasts about, uh, let's see, Wes Anderson or the Coen brothers or Jordan Peele or different people like that. So we did a lot of literature last year and I, I suspect we'll do some literature again this upcoming year, but trying to mix in some film. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of planning Please do share the podcast with those whom you think could benefit from it. Please leave a review, easy way to kind of work the podcast up in an algorithm so other people see it, think about it as like the easiest way to evangelize that you've ever had or that you've ever done. Um, And then if you would consider uh, supporting us on Patreon, Uh, we recently got some help with editing things because we're terrible at technology and other people are better at it. Um, So if we could contribute to that, it helps us to offset those costs. Uh, I think that's all from us. So we're praying for you in this new year, ask that you pray for us and we'll catch you next time on God's planning.
0: Thanks for listening to God's planning a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.